Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one in the foyer and hang on to that and take it home with you. But if you would, follow along with me from Jonah 1, verses 5 through 6. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought to us that we may not perish. Amen. Before I moved to Maine, I was a pastor in Rockland County, New York. Uh, This county is on the border of New Jersey. If you have ever driven across the Tappan Zee Bridge, you have been in Rockland County. When I went to visit people from my church who were in the hospital, uh, there would be usually one or two hospitals that they would go into. First, they would go into Nyack Hospital, where both of my children were born. Or, if they didn't go there, they would also go to a hospital called Good Samaritan Hospital. Uh, Some of you who might not know the Bible too well, might ask, well, what exactly is a Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan is a character in one of the stories that Jesus told in Luke chapter 10. In the story, a Jewish man is beaten and robbed and left by the side of the road to die. Some good religious Jews came along and saw the dying man, but they they refused to help him. It would have been a risk to help someone in need on the road where there were many thieves hanging around. But a Samaritan, someone who was of a different race and a different religion, actually helped the dying Jewish man. The Samaritan took the man to an inn. He paid for medicine for him. He bound up his wounds so that he could heal. The good Samaritan then gave to the dying Jewish man costly, sacrificial help in order to save his life. Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan in response to a question, who is my neighbor? God had commanded his people in the Old Testament law to love their neighbors as themselves. But someone in the crowd wanted Jesus to define a neighbor as someone who is exactly like me. Jesus, however, surprised his questioner by making a Samaritan, someone of a different race and even a different religion, the hero of his story. Jesus' story then reveals that a neighbor is everyone who is in need in your community, including those of a different race and even of different beliefs. And I think the story of Jonah that we are reading from the Bible reveals by Jonah's negative example, how God wants you to act like a neighbor to the people in your community. I'd like for us then today to do some comparison and contrast between the bad prophet Jonah and the good Samaritan. And let's see some ways that we can be a good neighbor to everyone in our community. First of all, you are a neighbor when you use your faith for the common good. In Jonah chapter 1 and verse 5, we see what happens when Jonah runs into a violent storm out on the Mediterranean Sea. We read there, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. 
and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So in this verse, we begin to see a contrast between the pagan Gentile sailors and the prophet of God, Jonah. And honestly, Jonah does not look very good by comparison. The sailors had a proper fear in this storm. What does each sailor do in the storm? It says that they all prayed to their gods. The storm was so extreme in its violence that the sailors recognized this is no ordinary storm here. This storm is an act of God. So if we're going to survive, we need to pray. They also recognized that they were powerless to fight the storm. Verse 4 says that God had hurled a great wind at them. And in response, the sailors hurled their cargo into the sea in order to lighten the ship. But their ability to hurl could not match God's ability to hurl. God is always stronger. And so they prayed to their gods. But did Jonah, the prophet of the one true God, did he pray? No. What did Jonah do? He went to sleep. Trying to run away from God like Jonah did is exhausting. Jonah then collapsed in his bunk below deck in the ship. But what do you think the lack of prayer on Jonah's part communicated to the rest of the sailors? They probably thought that he was crazy to not be praying in a moment of extreme danger like this. But they also probably thought, this man doesn't care about us. We are all going to die. And yet this man will not even pray so that we might be saved. You can see that this is what the captain of the ship is thinking in verse 6. The captain says to Jonah, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The words of the captain to arise and call out to your God are an example of irony. For those of you who have forgotten what you learned in English class, irony is the use of words to convey the opposite of their literal meaning. In this case, the pagan ship captain uses the exact same words that God himself had spoken to Jonah in Jonah 1 and verse 2. When God had said to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh. These words that the ship captain spoke to Jonah must have mocked Jonah. The only reason that Jonah was on that ship was to run away from God. That's the reason he was there. And yet, here is some unbeliever in Israel's God telling Jonah, Get up! Call out to your God. These words must have slapped Jonah in the face with his own disobedience. The captain thought, well, maybe Jonah's God will save us in this storm. But Jonah did not seem to care about the sailors. 
He didn't even seem to care about himself. So what do we learn from Jonah's story about being a neighbor? We learn that God cares deeply about how we as believers care and treat our neighbors who are deeply different from us. God wants us to work for the common good of all who are in the same boat with us or in the same community. God wants us to treat people of different races and different faiths in a way that is respectful, loving, generous, and just. And if we in the church refuse to treat non-believers in our community with love and justice, those non-believers have the right to judge us based on our commitment or lack thereof to the good of all. Those non-believers have the right to ask us what the ship captain asked Jonah. What do you mean, you sleeper? What are you doing? Why aren't you helping us for the common good? Jonah had fled from God because he did not want to work for the common good of the wicked people in Nineveh, the terrorists who were there. Jonah only wanted what was good for Israel. That's the only thing he cared about. He did not care about people from other races or faiths or nations. So what does God do to Jonah as he flees from God? He sends Jonah to work for the common good of some pagan sailors aboard a ship. I think that God was reminding Jonah of the truth that's found in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. Let's read that verse together out loud. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So let me ask you, how many people are created in the image of God? How many? All of us are created in the image of God. Is it just the Christians who are in the image of God? No. Every person in this world is a reflection of God. And so every Christian, unlike Jonah, should work for the common good of everyone in our community and in our neighborhood. We should work for everyone's good because everyone is made in the image of God. On occasion, I like to ask myself a, a question about our church, Hope Baptist Church. If Hope Baptist Church died tomorrow, would anyone from our community show up at the funeral and grieve for its loss? I'm not asking if you would show up at the funeral. I'm sure you would. I hope you would. I hope you'd be sad about the loss of your church and you would grieve for it. But what I'm asking myself is, would the surrounding neighborhood of our church be sad if Hope Baptist Church went away? I'm thankful to say that I think that many of the musicians who use our church on a weekly basis and come here for concerts, they would come up to the funeral. 
they would say that they were happy that Hope Baptist Church is here. And so would some of the students in Augusta who receive food packs on a weekly basis for them and their families over the weekends. I think that those students and their parents would probably come and grieve the loss of our church. And some who are at the homeless shelter in Augusta who receive a monthly meal from us, I think they would also come and, and grieve the loss of Hope Baptist Church. And I think that some of the people from the town of Manchester would also come because of our help in community events. They too would come and say, we are sad that Hope Baptist Church is no longer here. Do you know who else I hope would show up at the funeral? I would hope that some of the 250 Arabic-speaking immigrants in Augusta would show up and grieve the loss of our church because we helped them to settle into life here in America. I hope that they would come, these Iraqis and Syrians who are now living in our community. I hope that they would come and say, this group of people helped us. About once a month, uh, Martha Coughlin and her husband Chris and I will enjoy the hospitality of a Muslim Syrian family in Augusta. This family will feed us until we are stuffed to the gills. And then at the end of the meal, they will give us some very thick, strong coffee. It will not be five-hour energy. It will be 72-hour energy <laughs> that I will get from that coffee. But that's their way of expressing love to us. As we help them, they show their love for us by blessing us with their food. Usually sometime throughout the meal, Martha will ask the family, what can we do to help you in the months to come? I think at our last meeting, the, the family said to us, Hey, winter's coming. Our kids are growing. We could use some new winter boots. We could use some new winter jackets. And so Martha has been working on that assignment this particular month. And then uh, Martha and I will get to work in just meeting the practical needs of this family, just like the Good Samaritan practically helped the Jewish man who was dying on the side of the road. Good Samaritan helped a man who was of a different race, a different religion, but he said, I want to help this person who is my neighbor, who is in my community. Now, sometimes I go to gatherings of all the volunteers who serve these Arabic-speaking immigrants in our community. And do you know who the volunteers are who are working for the common good of our immigrant neighbors? Sadly, none of them are from Bible-believing churches. It is people from the local Jewish temple and people from churches who do not believe that the Bible is the word of God who are helping our Arabic immigrants. If I wanted to go to Iraq or to Syria as a missionary to tell people about Jesus or to show them the love of Jesus, those governments would not let me into their country. I couldn't do that. But do you know what God has done? Do you realize what he's done? He has sent people from Syria and from Iraq where they could not hear the gospel to us here in Augusta. These people are now surrounded by Bible-believing churches who could tell them about Christ 
They need Jesus. And we could be the ones to bring the gospel to them. But how many of these Bible-believing churches in Maine are actually working for the common good of these Muslim immigrants in Augusta? None. What a missed opportunity we are experiencing. I realize that no church can minister to every need in our community. But my question is this. Why can the non-Bible-believing churches find volunteers to help the immigrants? But the Bible-believing churches in our community want nothing to do with these Arabic immigrants. And I hear the words of the ship captain to Jonah ringing in my ears. What do you mean, you sleeper? Get up! Don't you care about the people in your community, in your neighborhood? Serve them for the common good. You are a neighbor when you use your faith for the common good of all, regardless of their race or their religion. Secondly, you are a neighbor when you use your faith to see common grace. We see another contrast between Jonah and the sailors in the use of the word down in the life of Jonah and the use of the word fear in the life of the sailors. If you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, I'd like for us to just take a look at the word down that is used to describe Jonah. Jonah is descending away from God into darkness. And we see that in the use of the word down throughout Jonah chapter 1 and chapter 2. The first use of the word down is in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 3. We read there that Jonah went down to Joppa. In his disobedience, Jonah ran away from God, and so he goes down to the port of Joppa in order to get away from where God wants him to go to Nineveh. Then in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 5, Jonah keeps going down. We see that Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. He is in the dark, below deck of the ship. And then after Jonah gets thrown into the water in order to bring an end to the storm, we see Jonah's recollection about that event in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah in that moment was drowning. Jonah was going down into death. Jonah then, the prophet of God, goes down, down, down. He is descending away from God. On the other hand, what happens to the pagan sailors who don't know the one true God? Let's look at the sailors' fear. In Jonah chapter 1 and verse 5, we see the sailors fear the storm. That is, of course, natural. It was a violent storm that was threatening to kill all of the sailors, and so they were afraid of the storm. But then in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 9, the sailors discover that Jonah is a prophet of God who made the sea and the dry land. The sailors' response in verse 10 is they were exceedingly afraid. We see their fear again. First they were afraid of the storm. Now what are they afraid of? Jonah's God. 
They are afraid because Jonah's God has power over the sea and the land. And then in verse 16, we see the sailors' response. After God brings an end to the violent storm, when Jonah was thrown into the sea, what did the sailors do according to verse 16? Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The sailors fear God, not in the sense of just being terrified of him, but they feared God in the sense that they worshipped him. They didn't even know this God. But because God saved their lives, what do they do? They offer sacrifices up to this God and they say, you and you alone are worthy of our worship. What an amazing transformation that takes place in the sailors. They start by fearing the storm, but they finish by fearing God. What amazing work God had done in these sailors. At this point, you might be asking yourself a question. How can this be? How can non-believers act so much better than a supposed believer would act. So let me take a quick survey here. How many of you have ever been very disappointed by the way a Christian has treated you? Has that ever happened to you? I think all of us would have stories, horror stories, that we could share about the way that supposed Christians had treated us. But let me also ask you this. How many of you have ever been surprised by the very Christian way that a non-Christian has treated you? Have you ever been surprised by that? I have as well. My first job out of school after graduate school was in an office with all women. This made for a very interesting environment for me to be working there. I think that uh, God was trying to prepare me for marriage Less than two years after I started this job, God sent me a wife. And so he was preparing me for how to live with a wife. I only had brothers growing up. I had a lot to learn. And so I enjoyed working in this office. The women in the office were all very kind to me, except one, Janice. Janice, for some reason, hated me. And so over time, she talked to me less and less, and then finally, she just stopped talking to me altogether. She made it clear to me that she didn't want me to go to lunch with the rest of the people in the office. There were six of us, which was kind of awkward for me, since all six of us would meet together for lunch every day. But Janice didn't want me there. And so at this time in my life, I was horrible at confronting people. Uh, something I also needed to learn if I was going to be the pastor of a church, how to confront people. And so God had to teach me through Janice what to do. But I didn't know what to do at that particular moment, and so I just decided, I I'm going to quit. I don't know how to resolve the situation. I have to leave. But in my exit interview with my boss and with my boss's boss, these two non-Christians were horrified by how Janice had treated me. They told me how they were going to discipline her 
and they told me what steps that she would need to take if she was going to keep her job. So who was it who taught me to confront? It was, again, two non-Christians. My experience then with non-Christian bosses and the story of Jonah and the sailors are examples of common grace. Usually when we hear about grace, we think about how God saves Christians by his undeserved mercy and grace. And indeed, that is what God does for believers. But there is also common grace in this world. This common grace is given to both non-Christians and Christians. What the theologians call common grace teaches us that God gives gifts of grace, gifts of wisdom, gifts of moral insight and goodness and beauty across all of humanity, regardless of a person's religion or race. We see an example of common grace in Psalm 145 in verses 15 and 16. Let's read those verses together. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. So who does God give food to? Is it just Christians? Or does God give food to non-Christians as well? He gives food to all. He is a God of common grace who gives his gifts to all that he has made. And God gives other gifts of grace to unbelievers as well, including gifts like wisdom and kindness and goodness and justice. Common grace then means that unbelievers often act more righteously than believers despite their lack of faith in the one true God. This explains why the unbelieving sailors acted far better than the prophet Jonah. We Christians who are still fighting indwelling sin on a daily basis often act like Jonah. We act far worse than our beliefs about God would lead us to expect. The contrast between how Jonah treated people of a different race and religion and how the Good Samaritan and the sailors treated people of a different religion and race is pretty stark. So how can we be more like the Good Samaritan and less like the bad prophet Jonah? Well, it won't happen by willpower. It won't happen by making some New Year's resolutions. We will only be good neighbors to all of the people in our community when we have a fresh understanding in our hearts of the great Samaritan, Jesus Christ. You see, the good Samaritan is a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the good Samaritan writ large. Jesus treats us in the way the Good Samaritan treated that neighbor he came across on the road. What do all of us deserve from Jesus? Nothing but rejection. That's what we deserve. We have all rebelled against God in our sin, and so it would only be fitting if Jesus wanted nothing to do with us. 
But here's what Jesus did for us in spite of our rebellion. Jesus knew even before he came to earth that we would kill him. So Jesus did not just risk his life for us, like the Good Samaritan risked his life for the man on the side of the road. No. Jesus died for us so that we might live. Until we understand how merciful Jesus has been to us, we will never be sacrificial in our love for our neighbors. So what will help us to love the 250 Muslim immigrants who have moved into Augusta? What will help us be better neighbors to anybody who is of a different religion or race from us? Only knowing Jesus. Jesus is the one who changes us. It's when we know deep in our hearts how merciful Jesus has been to sinners like me that we can turn around and forgive others and love them as our neighbors. So pray to Jesus this week. Pray that Jesus would open your eyes to how incredibly merciful he has been to you. It is the gospel of Jesus that will give you the ability to love our neighbors who reject both our beliefs and us personally. I'd like to close this morning with a geography question. Jonah was supposed to go to the city of Nineveh in Assyria with a message from God. Jonah was supposed to tell the Ninevites to repent so that they might receive the mercy of God. So here's my geography question for you. Do any of you know what modern-day country the ruins of the city of Nineveh are in? Do any of you know? Anybody? Okay, here's a picture to show you where Nineveh is. Nineveh, as you can see, is located in Iraq. Actually, the ruins of Nineveh are across the river from the city of Mosul in northern Iraq. Mosul is the city in recent years you've probably heard in the news. It's where the Islamic State has been fighting against the Iraqi government. Today, some of the refugees, some of the descendants of the Ninevites that Jonah eventually spoke to, some of those refugees who have run from the war in Iraq are now living where? In Augusta. They're living here in the midst of us. They have been sent here by who? God. God has sent these refugees to us. They have the image of God in them. So how will you treat these refugees of war from Nineveh? Will you be like Jonah and refuse to give practical help to those who are of a different religion or a different race? Or will you be like the Good Samaritan, sacrificing for the common good of your neighbors and seeing God's common grace in your neighbors? My prayer is that the mercy of Jesus will give you a heart and a behavior like the Good Samaritan. Let's pray together.
God, we thank you for the story of the Good Samaritan. We thank you that Jesus told us that story to show us how we might be good neighbors to those in our community, even those who are not like us in any way, those who are of a different religion, those who are of a different race. You have called us to love them in practical ways. And so I pray for each of us. I pray that you would help us to overcome our resistance, perhaps our own anger, perhaps our own hatred of those who are not like us. And I pray instead you would fill us with the mercy of Jesus so that we might be good neighbors to those in our community. In your great name we pray. Amen.